0: hello and welcome to awesome leaders lessons for food business success a podcast aimed at supporting the development and growth of women-owned food and beverage processing businesses in the canadian prairies our guests include industry experts as well as food and beverage entrepreneurs to provide knowledge real world examples and inspiration my name is carly and on behalf of the awesome program i'll be your host today welcome to part two of the achievement awards panel chat that was recorded live at the 2022 Awesome Conference. This panel f- highlights five recipients of the Outstanding Mentor Award. Crystal Milburn, Shakira Idaho, Karima Batal, Angela Sito, and Dahlia Cohen. This panel is moderated by Miriam Johnson, CEO of Women Entrepreneurs of Saskatchewan. Listen in to hear these accomplished founders discuss facility ownership, sustainability, female entrepreneurship and more. Unfortunately, due to unexpected canceled flights and weather conditions, only Crystal and Angela were able to join us in person, but be sure to check out the episode description for links to all five of the businesses.
1: Our final moderated discussion of the day. Uh, welcome to part two of the Achievement Award panel chat. Congratulations on to our panelists. Um, over these next 45 minutes or so, uh, we're going to hear from these outstanding mentor recipients and showcase their achievements this is a group of founders who achieve their business goals with boundless enthusiasm, skill, and continue to make an impact in the agri food sector. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. I'm going to start with you, Crystal. Of course not. <laughs> You're right here, even. That's right, right here. They put you here, didn't they? Um, you have been operating your facility since 2012. First as a UPIC farm, which, evo- which then evolved into Prairie Bee Meadery in 2016 what were the challenges or what are the challenges now of facility ownership? Um, Number one, challenge of having your own facility is the cost. Um, That's
2: it, big one. Uh, You own a building, maybe you own the land it sits on um, and there are a lot of expenses associated with that. You've got your taxes, you've got your utilities. If like us, you built your um, facility in the middle of nowhere, um, you had to pay to run those utilities to the building. Um, we still have to truck in our water. Uh, I recently had to install a cell booster in the back of my building because I couldn't talk to anybody if I was working. <laughs> um, so those are, uh, I mean, cost is is number one challenge. Number two, especially if you're in a food sector or a beverage sector like I am, is regulatory compliance. Um, if you are working with a co-packer, All of those things, all the pest control, all of the sanitation stuff, they take care of all that for you. Uh, You don't need to worry about it. If it's your building, then you're the one who has to deal with it. Uh, You're the one who has to have a contract with Orkin to come out and count your dead mice or what have you, Um, right? The buck stops here. So there's no letting somebody else look after that. Uh, And then, of course, it requires an entirely different level of expertise than just making your product. You know, you you make a, something, you, you know it, you understand it, you know what the ingredients are, you know how to do it. Uh, running a facility is not the same. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't know you needed to know just to make your product. So that's the other big challenge. Um, those are my top three for sure. Um, we have some very specific challenges. So if anybody is thinking about You know, building a facility, running your own facility, maybe you can learn from some of the things we've done wrong. Uh, Number one, we built on a farm. Um, (laughs) I don't recommend that. (laughs) Um, So uh, the first thing we did was we ran power to our building. You need power. Second thing we did was dig a septic field, because drains got to go somewhere. And uh, what we discovered first off is that electric heaters are really expensive. So then we had to get some gas (laughs) so we could have some cheaper heaters to keep things warm in the winter because it's for six months of the year here. It's really flipping cold. Um, The other thing we learned is make sure your water pipes are inside the insulation. That's uh, super important. So. Uh, yeah, like all the way along, not just in most of the places. Uh, certainly, if you're trying to make wine and it's January and you head out there and you discover you don't have any water because the pipes are frozen, well, guess what? You're not doing any work today. <laughs> so um, don't make that mistake. Um, the other challenges, of course, are always what is the weather going to throw at you? Always, always. Um, Look at this. We put our vehicle door on kind of a slope, and now every time it rains, water comes in under it. That's so much fun. Let's figure out that. Um, my husband, we're driving to work the other day. He says, "So you know the roof's leaking, right?" I went, "Sorry, what now?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, and then in the back, right by the septic pump. It's okay. It'll it'll, it'll get pumped out." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what? Now I got to fix the roof? Um, all those kinds of things." <laughs> It just, it presents, it's a new
1: challenge every day when you have your
2: own place. That's what I have to say about that.
1: <laughs> but you grew to a point that you needed that. Um, and so, you know, when we get to, you know, when we look at the room here and even on mm-hmm. on people's journeys, you know, if a business owner here is actually considering this, uh, what would your advice be on even starting that? And, you know, how would they determine, okay, we're ready for this, we need this? so step one, um, try to make
2: your mistakes in the planning stage, um, not after you've executed. Um, The more you plan, the more research you put in, the fewer mistakes you're going to make when you you do get around to executing. Um, Step two, talk to everybody. Um, Once again, we're back to you don't know what you don't know uh, until you ask some questions or talk to some experts. Everyone here will be an expert at what they do. You know, Whatever it is you make, whatever it is you love, that's where your expertise is. But owning your own business means you have to be expert in a whole bunch of other stuff, too, that you didn't ever want <laughs> to know anything about. I know more about pumps um, than I ever thought I would need to know. <laughs> it's really scary sometimes when the pump breaks that the person they ask to fix it is me. I'm like, really? OK, I'm the pump expert now. Um, so talk to everybody. There's a certain amount of information you can get from just looking on Google, from, you know, from going out and, and digging around. But you need experts. Um, don't cheap out on your trades. That's a big one. Uh, find a plumber. Find an electrician you trust. Um, and find somebody who's going to stand behind their work when you're contracting. Uh, if something goes wrong, um, you want them out there fixing it. And <laughs> if it's their fault, you don't want to be paying for it. Um, location, location, location. That is the one thing you really, really need to consider. Um, one of the hardest things for us being where we are is getting deliveries in. Um, you know, it's like, okay, we're a manufacturer. I've got a semi-truckload of bottles coming in. Can this, you know, when are they delivering? Uh, do we need to get the tractor out and clear the frickin' snow? All of that kind of stuff. Do you have the ability to get it off of the back of the truck and into your facility? Um, So all of these things need to be thought of ahead of time. Before you pour concrete, you need to know what size of truck is going to be parked on it, um, what kind of equipment you're going to be putting on it, um, will it stand the load, all of that stuff. And you're like, I don't know anything about concrete. Why is that my job? Because it's your business. (laughs) Now you need to be concrete experts, too. So where are you going to build? Can you get delivery? Um, do you have customers coming to your, to, to, to your location? Do you need parking for them? Um, that's, like, number one, it's got to suit your needs, and it has to suit your customers' needs when it comes to location. Um, make sure you build flexibility into your budget. Projects that come in on budget are few and far between. Be prepared for cost overruns, especially when the plumbers are coming. They are not number guys. Okay.
1: <laughs> In your journey, and th- this is very insightful. I think that's one thing we've learned today is, boy, we're opening up. We're, we're, we're sharing everything, and I love it. Um, is, you know, there was a point, though, where you went, okay, we've got to... It's time for this. We need this facility. We've got to now move into something that is... You know, is was there a certain pain point that you felt or something that you think uh, any other uh, entrepreneur in this room might go, you know what, it's, it's time. You, you actually need to move to that next level.
2: So we had a very different journey, I think, than, than a lot of people because when we set out to open a winery, you don't open a winery without a facility, uh, not in Saskatchewan. Okay, if you, if you live in BC, maybe you have one of those lovely little like communal winery things where everybody shares equipment and that's all awesome. Um, we don't have that here. So, it, it, was, it was a requirement for us because we could not operate without it. What we have done, though, is we have expanded. We've gone through two or three separate um, expansions, uh, growth phases. And ultimately, it, it comes down to money, right? That's the, that's the bottom line. It's can I produce it myself in my own building, in my own facility, with my own staff, cheaper than if I am still co-packing, if I'm trucking stuff here or trucking stuff there. Where's that tipping point where it makes more sense in spite of the hassle for me to bring all of my production in-house under my own roof? Um, And then you get to ask questions like, now I've got this place and I have this beautiful bottling line. I have the most amazing bottling line, you guys. I love it. It runs, I don't know, 30 days a year. So now we're like, okay, I have excess capacity. What's the next step? Can somebody else use my facility? Can somebody else use my expertise? And there's tons of
1: growth opportunities in there as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think you've just planted some seeds in this room, potentially. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Angela, three foragers. Congratulations. Product differentiation and sustainability. Three Forgers though, focuses on providing wholesome and sustainable food products, uh, and honeybees play a significant part in Canadian agriculture. What role do bees play in food sustainability?
3: Um, Well, I think that a lot of people, especially in the food industry, are very familiar about honeybees and their role in pollination. Um, And... The only thing that I would say is that I don't think a lot of people understand just how immediate it is. Um, I think there's lots of, you know, in the news, oh, honeybees are dying, or honeybees are this. They pollinate one in every three bites of food. Like, that's very widespread, which is fantastic. But um, in terms of food sustainability, in Canada, we are very lucky that we are a country that produces most of the food we need to eat. We don't rely on importing for the necessities, you know, especially here in Saskatchewan, BC, we have every food group covered. And um, this allows us to feel very secure in our food system here in Canada. Um, And so the thing is, there's a lot of changes that are happening right now, you know, a lot of us face in terms of, with COVID, we had supply chain backups, we had labor shortages, but climate is also a huge thing for us. And it is something that's in the back of everyone's minds for some people, and it's not for others. Um, But for farmers, it has a huge impact. Um, For honeybees, you know, I don't know if you've seen this in the news, but in the past year, 50% of the hives in Canada were lost last winter. And that's not insignificant. And so, you know, people think, okay, we have less honey bees, so we just have less honey this year. That's okay, right? Like, we don't need to eat that much honey. Well, that's one thing, but the other side of it is that, you know, for three foragers, we produce honey, but we also produce pollination services. And we have people out in B.C. who grow blueberries and who grow cherries, and they don't have enough bees for their crops. And so their yields end up being much lower this year compared to previous years. And this does not change if bees keep dying over the years. And it's not just we have less blueberries and cherries, those start to go up in price in the grocery stores. C- customers start to, you know, their budgets are starting to get tight the, these, the, like, during these times. But people don't really change their habits in terms of the food that they want to eat, right? If you like avocados, you're gonna buy avocados. If you like blueberries and cherries and things, you're gonna buy them. Over time, if Canadian producers aren't able to produce them at affordable prices, Customers will turn to other countries that can produce it, California fruit, California vegetables. And so over time, you know, it might be a slow trend, but over time, we may not be able to rely on local farmers and local producers if they cannot produce this food at a profitable margins that they can continue their businesses. And then we start to rely more on imported foods for the necessities, and that kind of changes food sustainability and food security in our country. And I'm not saying that honeybees are like the crux of this, but you know, as farmers, there's like a million things that impacts our crops, a million things that go into our costs, and if we sort of ignore different pockets, like honeybees or changes in our climate or fuel prices and things like that that will affect basically where we get our food from in the future so i hope that was a little long-winded but that's don't okay that and sense. i don't, and
1: i right now i'm like way off script because i'm like i have a million questions so i'm like oh god i yeah, fo- focus people. yeah well because i think you know even this morning on our on our panel chat we were you know i think it was um uh, uh shannon who was actually talking about you know how much you know. There's there's so there's an ecosystem, and when you know there's a few cogs of that ecosystem that are substantially you know uh, impacted, it, it's felt. You know, universally. So I think that you're touching on that. I have a questions that I can ask you afterwards about this whole 50%. I didn't know these things, so now I have a lot of questions. I'm going to go back to the script. Um, <laughs> uh, but Three Forges was one of the, the first brands on the market to be packaged in true sustainable packaging. And this came up this morning. Um, and so we actually had this conversation around, uh, You know, what is your advice to companies who are looking into incorporating sustainable packaging into their brand?
3: Well, um, yeah, this is very. This has been a bit of a journey for us because um, it is very difficult to find truly sustainable packaging. Um, there's lots of greenwashing out there, and there's also just lots of systems that like aren't in place yet that can allow for your sustainable packaging to get processed correctly. Um, so, for our company, just for some context, like we. Like The core of our values and why we even have our company is to promote sustainability in terms of the sweeteners you're using in your diets. So honey produced in Canada is the most sustainable sweetener that you can get rather than importing sugars, refining sugars, all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of the context. So the way that we look at sustainability in terms of our packaging is the same way that we look at ingredients in our food. So some people, they choose organic ingredients. They choose fair trade, you know, farmed products. And they bake that into their value proposition, the way they communicate to their customers. They bake that into their costs. And so that the customers recognize that that's the value that you're providing with your product. For us, the packaging is part of our product. You don't get the product without our packaging. that's baked into us. Like it's For us, it's a non-negotiable. If we're gonna make something, it's gonna be in sustainable packaging. Otherwise, we should do something else. And, but sometimes that is very like, that's like a zealot, basically. And I know that because of cost, this is not something that everybody can do, but I know that lots of people want to move in that direction. So some struggles that i had is the cost is expensive which means my products can be more expensive so you have to basically make sure you market that part of your product so that it's forward but other thing is you don't have to do it 100 percent right off the bat and that's i think something that we kind of bump against like if you can't be fully compostable right away you know go recyclable if you can't do this maybe do 50% of your product. I think a lot of times, especially with like environmentalism and sustainability, it's like 100% or nothing, right? But like nothing, 1% is better than zero, 50% is better than 1%. And just looking, if you can't do it for your entire product, your entire line, just making small changes matters because as food manufacturers and food producers, like we change what happens in waste and packaging and sustainability, right? I know that as, like, an individual, you feel, what's the point of me recycling this thing because there's, like, so many other companies and so many other um, businesses that just totally counteract what you're doing. But I think as opportunities, if you have your own business and you're able to make those changes, that's important. Like, even in the last four years that I've been working on sustainability packaging for our non-honey products, I've seen many companies pop up with sustainable packaging options and new innovations and things like that. Like when I started there was like one company and it was so expensive. And then now I, there, I've there i got options, like I've got seven, eight, nine companies that are doing it. And, and I see more other companies adopting it and just with consumers asking for it, it changes over time and and you know, you may think as a small company you don't have a voice, but you, like there's so many small businesses, if we all like make a little bit, just change 1% or 10%, it makes a difference. So I think being forgiving that you're not getting it 100% right, if you can just do at least a little bit, that that's important to think about.
1: Phenomenal, thank you. Yeah. And the, you know, and it's actually, goes perfectly into this next you know question which is you know it's, it's a general question I'm going to ask actually both of you this one is you know what is an upcoming advancement in food innovation that you might be excited about well and I know you talked packaging there but I'll stay with you because she did I you know about this question she does so I'm gonna give her a minute so I'm gonna stay
3: um well what I think of food, uh, There's a couple things in food innovation that I'm kind of excited about. Again, my lens is always about sustainability and, and environmentalism. So I get really excited about packaging. And, you know, one thing, things that I have noticed, especially with larger companies, is that they are adopting more sustainable packaging. So, you know, it's, you know, as even starting from like, Smarties are now in paper bags. Like they used to be in that plastic film that was like packaged. So like if they're doing it, that means they're gonna move the, the producers of packaging to start looking in that direction. On the other hand, even like when I go to Safeway or Sobeys and like all the fruits and vegetables are pa- packaged in plastic clamshells, which is what's affordable, but now I'm starting to see like t- cherry tomatoes in compostable like containers, right, with the plastic film. So, like it makes me really excited to see that there are companies that are starting to make those changes and it allows me to support that by spending money on those companies rather than the one that packages in clamshells. I mean, this is a total side but I've seen the same company do a compostable one for Sobeys and a plastic one for Costco and I will just not buy it at Costco and I will go to Sobeys and it's just like small tiny little things like that but they all add up so those are really exciting to me in terms of food innovation is that like it's becoming more commonplace in our grocery stores. The other thing that I'm excited about is I don't know if anyone's noticed but like in non-food there's like trends in like soaps and laundry detergents and things, mm-hmm. where they're removing water out of the product, mm-hmm. so it's like easier to ship. It's you're not sh- you're not buying water basically. You're buying like powder or strips or things like that. And I'm not saying that this I want this for like all food, but I've been noticing there are now food companies coming out with like powdered ketchup or like powdered mustards, and you add water to it and. Um, I, there are definitely use cases for stuff like that, but I think it's cool that there are companies that are trying to solve those types of sustainability problems with the food itself. Um, I, I just
1: think that's really awesome. That's fantastic. Crystal, do you have any thoughts or additions on innovation that you're excited about? Um, there's so many
2: There's so many things going on. Um, it's, I, I'm really excited that I'm seeing more and more post-consumer plastics. Um, you know, like actually stuff that's been recycled because, you know, you put that stuff in the recycle bin and you hope something good is happening to it and it's not just getting, you know, shipped on a boat somewhere. Um, so I'm excited to see to see um, a, a lot more post-consumer um, products. That's, that's really awesome for me. Like Angela, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, cleaning products and stuff that are coming to me in my little strips. My husband hates them. I love them. I'm like he's like it doesn't feel like it's working like shut up it's working fine (laughs) Um, I think it's it's easy to be discouraged and to kind of fall into this doomsday scenario where everything is wrong but there are companies out there who are making strides and who are who and who are innovating and who are thinking about these problems people who are much smarter than me um, trying actively to to find solutions so I think anywhere you see it anywhere that you can support it is is stupendous
1: Love that. we do have one uh one of our award members dahlia who is not uh, able to join us today but she did create a video uh, and dahlia is going to speak on product differentiation and creating a unique product
4: hi my name is dahlia cohen and i'm the founder and operator of wild folk here in calgary I um, feel super fortunate that I'm able to join through this video today. Um, I was really sad to find out um, that it overlapped with a vacation that I had planned much needed vacation after the last crazy year. Um, So I apologize that I'm unable to be there in person, but feel super fortunate that I'm able to join through this video. Um, There were three questions asked of me today. um, And I'd like to respond to those. So the first question was, um, how did I realize that there was a gap in the market for non-alcoholic beverages? Um, And it all started um, out at my restaurant. I owned the Koo Vegetarian restaurant here in Calgary for 15 years. And over the last few years that I owned the place, I really noticed um, drink sales decreasing. I noticed um, people still ordering drinks and holding them. Um, but not actually drinking them. And just knowing that there were so many regulars and feeling open to creating dialogue with customers, I was able to have those conversations about why um, people chose not to drink and um, create a menu based based around that. Um, I asked people what they were looking for and I feel really fortunate that I had that space and um, and a number of customers that were able to, to give me honest feedback. Um, So we started playing with recipes at the bar and uh, testing them on people, handing out free drinks, and came up with a few recipes there. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, I sold the restaurant and decided to take those recipes with me, um, not really knowing why, and not knowing that I was going to create a beverage line out of them, Um, but yeah, the, just seeing the trend and then when COVID happened and hearing that people were, you know, trying to lead healthier lifestyles and people had either um, overindulged or were just choosing different paths. Um, I just realized that it was, the timing was right. Um, I read a lot of reports from, I always look to different countries, um, for inspiration and to see kind of what they were doing maybe countries that are a little bit more advanced in one area or the other so i really closely watch um, the states um, what's happening in new york and california as well as australia and the uk and all of these trends were um, on the up, upswing but it was fairly new in canada and so i just i don't know felt in my gut that it was the right time to um to pursue Yeah. So second question is how did I conduct market research? Um, I think I answered that a little bit in the first question. Um, a lot of the research was actually done in the restaurant. Um, and then after that, when I, after I had sold the restaurant, I did a lot of research through, um, the internet and government, um, websites. Unfortunately, I couldn't do, like samplings were recommended to me and um, different markets, but that was at a time where everything was shut down. So unfortunately I was unable to do that. Um, I used a lot of my um, connections in the restaurant um, industry and at liquor stores and bars um, and asked them, asked people like the employees there and other owners there what they thought of the idea. And so that was, um, yeah, that was how I did the research. Um, what are my unique tips for creating? Ooh, sorry. Let me, um, start again. What are my tips for creating a unique product? Um, and I think really these beverages all came up from, um, experimentation. And I think if you, if you're having fun with something and your, your heart is in it and your gut is in it, I think that's how, everything else just follows. I think it's really, what are you passionate about? And um, yeah, also, like I mentioned previously, following different trends in in other places and just um, exploring and following on social media and seeing what people are doing and seeing if a creative idea comes up for you.
1: Thank you, Dahlia. All right. Before we open things up to an open Q and A, there's one last question that I'll ask, which is a neat, nice, easy one. Um, but what <laughs> is one? <laughs> what is one thing that you enjoy most about being a female founder? You
3: like me to start? Sure. Okay. Um,
1: I think that
3: uh, at this time, like we are kind of in a moment where there's a lot of support and recognition and. Um, collaboration for female founders to be working especially in the food space so I think that's really exciting and awesome like to be able to do this with other people alongside you and not doing it by yourself um, especially with other people who are like want your success and you want their success it's awesome it's just like people are just very very positive and motivating and it's a great community so that's what i like about it
1: wonderful
2: so having your own business full stop whether you're a man or a woman is is terrific you know if you can make a go of it it's great on so many levels um, as a woman one of the reasons i think so many of us want to have our own businesses is because we have that dual role to fill um, as both breadwinner and as mom. Um, For me, uh, I stopped work when I had my first baby, 17 years ago. Oh, my God. Um, And by the time my youngest was three years old, I was wanting to go back to work, but at the same time, not wanting to give up my ability to be a mom, my my ability to, you know, make snacks for the preschool or, you know, be there for them. Um, and you think, well, if I have my own business, then I have the flexibility. And then you learn differently. Um, <laughs> 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 but But in a lot of ways, yes, having your own business does give you the opportunity to say, no, I'm not working today. Or, no, I'm not working this weekend. I've got, you know, Two kids at a hockey tournament, and we're driving to wherever we're driving to, um, or to say, okay, my you know, two of my kids have a fever, and that sucks, but that's okay because I can still be home with them. I can still do my job um, while I'm doing my other job, which is which is mothering. Um, so that I love. I I love that I can still be a mom and still work and have a business and do something that that fulfills me on that other level. The other thing that I particularly love, as Angela said, at this moment um, in the ecosystem, there is a big push to encourage more women entrepreneurs. Um, So having that support available and programs like the Awesome Program and getting to meet other women who are in the same boat, who are having the same experiences, has been just so amazing. and you build a community with them that is different than the one you build with with men. It just it just is, um, and having that community is so so special. And I just I love it. That's I absolutely adore
1: it. That's a perfect way, perfect way to end that gener- our panel chat and move it into our Q and A. Thank you both so much. Now we're looking at you for questions. We have some questions for these panelists today. Uh, what are the know. barriers to entrepreneurs as they begin their journeys? Um,
2: number one is always going to be funding. Um, I mean, you've heard it from more than one person today is starting a business requires capital. It requires finances. And if you don't have it, um, then what can you leverage? Who can you leverage? How can you find what you need to to give you that start? Um, you know, for us, we were we were incredibly lucky. Uh, my husband spent years working in oil. Um, we had savings to invest, and we're still waiting to pay it back. Um, <laughs> but for if you know for for a lot of people, that is, that is the number one barrier is it's it's not time, it's not passion, it's not enthusiasm, it's not creativity, it's money. Um, and you've got to get creative. Do you have a, do
1: you, well, we can go back to a question or you yeah, can answer
2: no.
3: if you're like,
1: no, I've got something here. <laughs>
3: no, I mean, I, no, I think I think it's very similar. Like funding is definitely a thing that's very restrictive and, and very important. Um, one thing that I've also think in terms of a barrier um, is I guess especially as a female entrepreneur as well is just having the confidence to go out and be able to pull it off I think that you know I struggle this all the time as well like can I do this like is this something that I can pull off and I think that um, the important thing that I've learned over the over the years that I'm still working on is like having an end in mind when you build your business. And I think a lot of us sometimes, especially me, you have a product and you say, oh, awesome. I'm gonna sell this product and make money. But um, you quickly learn that people don't wanna buy just any random product just because. They wanna buy something that solves a problem for them. And so being able to Go out and know that you have something that solves a problem can give you a lot more confidence in what you're doing because you know that what you're doing is helping somebody instead of just selling something to make money off of them. And I think once you have something that can solve a problem for somebody, a lot of barriers may be easier to overcome. If somebody wants to buy your stuff, it will be easier to get funding, or maybe investment from somebody who wants to help you bring that product to market. Um, and, and you know, I think that's just. I don't know if I answered the question correctly, but I think that just being able to think about just beyond, I want to make this thing because it tastes good and I think people will like it, and think more about like this is a something that somebody needs and I can help them. Will give you confidence to be able to pull that off and help you build your business. You know, w- from a really strong.
1: Um, foundation that's a fantastic way to to end this panel discussion thank you so much and um, as you know as we start to close I think there's been a lot of themes that we've heard from all of these panelists and um, I think Angela spoke spoke so well to the fact that it's a you know being a woman entrepreneur right now is it it is good timing there are there are support surrounding uh, each of each of you uh, on this journey and you know I think even Even the, uh, what Awesome is doing in this sector-specific type of a conference is just priceless. Um, You know, even when you look at uh, programs that have been designed and developed to even wrap around each of you, that's where even Wesk comes in. So Wesk and Awesome are part of an ecosystem from Prairie's Can um, and from our federal government to wrap services around you. And so, you know, while we've got Awesome that is, you know, sector-specific, you've got WESC who can actually come in with funding support so you know WESC Women Entrepreneurs of Saskatchewan and there's not just Saskatchewan there's also Manitoba, Alberta and BC that all are here in order to help fund women entrepreneurs uh, either grow or scale their businesses so you know there are services that absolutely wrap around each of you um, and so you know kudos to every single person in this room this has been an absolute honor to to get to moderate your your panels today and i have learned so much and i hope that each of you have as well
0: the awesome program is an initiative of the saskatchewan food center and is funded by prairies economic development canada through the women entrepreneurship strategy ecosystem fund we are here to support women-owned food businesses through education advising and industry connections Although we are based in Saskatoon, we serve members in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. For more information, visit the show notes or head to our website at beawesome.ca.